Hello, this is Ed from MPKS, Midwest Pond and Koi Society. You're listening to WCGO Radio, 1590 and 95.9 Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Nowak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. What it do is your boy Big Snoop Dogg. Hey, let's look at another animal. These are, um, beavers. Oh, look like, oh my God, that's a crocodile. That's Wally Gator. Look how they stand up on their toes. Like, hey, cuz, we got to get up out of here, cuz. Come on. He got them cornered right now. Ah! Oh, wow. Were they going head up with him? They ain't scared of him. What is these animals? Them the ones that eat snakes, huh? Is them mongooses? Oh, wow. It's about 12 of them, cuz. They didn't back the gator up. I ain't never seen a gator get punked by no mongooses. Retreat, yeah, retreat. Yeah, back up, folks. Get deep. Yeah. We them boys. Hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. We them boys. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find Good planets are in the main This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com Jet streams, perfect air And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main Right And here we are, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and genomes, we are in the wilds of Chicago, on the south side of Chicago at Indian Ridge Marsh. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we we threatened to, to come down. Here we are. It's all Paul's fault, too. Yeah, that's right. And Paul is standing behind the camera. He's on camera watch right now. That's Paul Botts from the Wetlands Initiative. And, and as a matter of fact... Uh, I'm going to drag him over here. Uh, he doesn't want to be on the radio today, but he was with us in April. Uh, grab the Mr. Blue mic uh, over there, Paul. And first of all, good morning. Welcome to you. And it is a good morning. It's beautiful out here today. It's a Thysmia hunt, isn't it's a it? Thysmia hunt. And, and Calumet celebration. I mean, this is just a, a almost a perfect day to be out here uh, looking for Thysmia. And I don't know if you saw... Uh, the headline of my blog, Thysmia, Thysmia, wherefore art thou, Thysmia? For a hundred years, people have been saying, wherefore art thou, Thysmia? And here we are. You're the guy that told us in April and said, well, you've got to come out to the Thysmia hunt. And the minute you described it to us, we said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to do that. I want to go out and spray myself with um, uh, off so, with that, deep, yes. or, <laughs> so that I don't get ticks coming yep. home and yep. and crawl around looking for a plant that nobody... Free advice. Check anyway when you get home. Yeah, yeah. I, I will be checking. We've and, got and, the car doors closed. <laughs> look for a plant that nobody has seen in 100 years. Yep. 
Wow. But you've got people doing that, and they're already starting to show up, and and you couldn't have a better day than this, could you? really couldn't. No, this is beautiful. And uh, you're about to talk to the two people right now who are really the ringleaders on this from a scientific point of view. And... uh, and you've got the button. I gave you the button uh, Wait, right there. Yep, I've got yep. one of them here. Here it is. That's right. And uh, I'm going to turn it over it's to a, you. My, uh, my job here is just to make the talent happy. Well, I just wanted you. to bring so, you over uh, and, and thank you for for uh, setting this up and, uh, and inviting us oh, to wow. the Thismia. A lot of people. I'm just the one who got delegated to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people besides me set this up. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Paul Botch Thanks, from Paul. the Wetlands Initiative. And you folks, you can walk in front of the camera. We're fine with that. That's cool. Just Just go on by. Just don't trip over the tripod. That's all we're asking. And, Appar- and to anybody who is listening, Facebook will be up shortly. Apparently sure there's a will. technical issue. Sure it will. We're going to get rolling here. We'll be breaking very quickly. In just a couple of minutes, I want to introduce a couple of people, and they'll talk more when we come back from the break. We've got Linda Masters, who's a restoration specialist with Open Lands. Linda, good morning. Good morning. Um, you know, I look at your resume and you've been doing this a long time, longer than most, right? Uh, that is looking for thysmia, but also doing other things in nature. Yes, I've been around the block a few times. A few times. I always <laughs> like people who have been around the block. That's one of my favorites. And you even brought a thysmia, what do you call this, a thysmia? Replica. Replica, which we have on the table, and I'm pointing at it. I don't even know. We're not on Facebook, no. so you can't see it. Um, but we, we will see it uh, later on. And And sitting on the other side of the table is a... Friend of the show now, Trevor Edmondson, who's been with us before, was with us at Medaywin when we were out there. Welcome back. Good morning. Yeah, thank it, you. Good morning. It's, it's good to have you here. Trevor is a project manager from the Wetlands Initiative. You oversee the restoration here at Indian Ridge Marsh. And, and when we come back, I'm going to want to talk about that restoration. What is it that you do and what do you hope to achieve? Because, you know, anybody who drives by doesn't see a lot here. Lots of unique challenges here. Yeah, that's, that's one way of putting it. Okay. Uh, Trevor Edmondson, Linda Masters, Peggy Malecki, we're all here at Indian Ridge Marsh. It is Thysmia Hunt. Woohoo! 2019. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. What happens when you bring together hundreds of people from diverse faiths and walks of life across Illinois and the Midwest with the goal of healing the earth? You get the Green Team Summit, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of Faith in Place. This important gathering happens on Saturday, September 14th at the Field Museum in Chicago. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki will be there. We want you to join us to fight for environmental justice. Go to faithinplace.org. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. 
You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Gardening, the environment, and green living. It's the Mike Novak Show. With Peggy Malecki. On WCGO Radio. 1590 AM and 95.9 FM. We're calling, we're calling the hunter. A mighty sleuth is he. We're calling, we're calling the hunter. Where can the hunter be? Where, oh, where? Oh, yeah. We're calling the hunter. Where can the hunter be? Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I went back to my childhood for that because we're, 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 we're on a hunt here. By the way, it is, uh, let's give me, I'll give you the official title. It's Thismia Hunt, a Calumet Celebration Day. And uh, you folks, come, feel free to walk in front of the camera. It's fine. It's fine. Just come on by. Don't worry about it. Folks are afraid that they're going to get in the shot, and that's okay because we want to show how many folks are down here on the south side. By the way, if you want to come down, you can do it until noon. We're here until noon. The show will be the usual spot. Well, look who's there. It's a, it, a, a wow. It, it's an Arthur sighting here. Okay. Um, and, and that uh, would be Arthur who? Why, Arthur Melville Pearson, author, naturalist, man about town, bon vivant. Occasional guest on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and now in hip boots. You can come down to Indian Ridge Marsh, and it's at 11740, or I guess they call it 11740. On the south side, I don't know, you're, you're, you're shrugging over there, Trevor. Um, but it's uh, 11740 South Torrance Avenue in Chicago. There's a little parking lot, and you come on in here. And talk to the folks here. They will show you how to do that. In fact, th this is a, a really good way to bring Linda Masters back to uh, the show here, uh, who's sitting next to us, about, you know, you know this plant because you've been studying it for, for decades. When somebody comes in here and you say, okay, we want you to help us find the Thysmia, and it's a very odd-looking plant. Uh, I guess that actually helps, doesn't it? It, it does help. It's, uh, it's pretty small. It's only about a half an inch tall that you'll see growing out of the ground. So our goal here is really closely to the mm -hmm. ground. Um, so like it, on all fours. On all fours. Get down. Really. So it, it encourages people, instead of just sort of looking out over a landscape, you're looking into the landscape. Uh -huh. So you've got to get down low. Kids might find it. They're low to the ground. Yeah, but where are you likely to find it? Is it going to be amongst Forbes? Is it going to be, well, you know, what? where should you be looking for this? A bare area? I mean, is that likely to happen there? So the description that Norma Pfeiffer, Norma Pfeiffer was a, a, a botany student at the University mm -hmm. of Chicago. She found this plant in 1912 was when she first. Wow. She, and nobody had seen ago. this before. Nobody needed to collect some specimens for a moss, a moss class that she was going to teach. A moss class. So All she right. took the train down to a station called Solvay, 
and got off the train, walked out in the field. She was looking for mm -hmm. mosses, so she was okay. looking really close to the ground. And she found this interesting plant that she had not seen before. So she described the habitat as a small space along a grass field in a low prairie. And she, she listed the associates. So there were a couple of goldenrods, black-eyed Susan, swamp milkweed, blue flag iris, sweet flag. So it's probably on the margin of a wet area, probably not totally inundated or saturated, but not totally dry either. The problem is she found it. The good news is she documented it. It was photographed, unfortunately not in color, because mm -hmm. color photography basically didn't mm -hmm. exist at that point. And out in the field. And, and out in the, the field, field and whatever. Uh, but it's in the books in black and white. And then it was seen for four years and then never seen again. again. Never seen again. I, in fact, what, what I understand is a barn went up nearby. And it, is it, it's possible that that sort of... The disturbance? Or just what disturbance, is, yes. Yeah. Disturbed the area. Yeah. So she did note that a barn was built on top of the mm -hmm. original location. Was she, it on top of the? I thought it was near the original. Uh, she, I think she said it was. I don't. I'm not positive. But the the interesting thing is she found it a third of a mile away in another location. Really. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't the only location mm -hmm. that she found it in. Okay, so that's good. And she also said, I know somebody who actually talked to her before mm -hmm. she passed away, and she claimed that. Um, she did not collect every single plant she saw, so there was still she left some behind. <laughs> Thank and goodness. it was un underground uh, anyways. Anyways, yes, it's underground most of the year. But she also said that she could find this given enough time, she the plant again. If the habitat were still there. Okay. All right. So she was confident she could find it again. But she didn't. But she and, didn't. And she lived till she lived she was what, a hundred years, years old when she died yeah, in nineteen eighty nine. Right. And she never found the plant again. No. Well yeah. she lived in New York. And she wasn't in Chicago. But so. she had folks coming out here uh, looking. Uh, well, not really. She didn't. But Floyd Swink of the Morton Arboretum um, got together a few people in the 1950s, and they came out and looked mm -hmm. for it and never found it. But it's so tiny, and it's, it's so only tiny. blooming between maybe July and Mid-July to mid-September. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So uh, it, it could be right there, and we don't know. It could be in an interesting article that he found recently. Okay, well, Trevor, why don't you uh, jump into this? I'm in, in, but I'm going to get back to you in okay. a second, yes. Linda, because I have the most important question: is why? Okay. Why bother? <laughs> uh, but why Trevor, what's the article we're talking about here? Yeah, so it's a it's an article from Malaysia um, from last year found Thysmia neptunis hmm. um, after 150 years they had been missing, and they refound it. Um, so, you know, I have a Google, uh, uh, you know, like search thing, uh, that, that I put in for Thysmia and I get emails and there's so many of these Thysmia stories that just pop up randomly, um, usually in the tropics, you know, but that's, and that's where it's them. from generally. I mean, that's the whole point. Right. How, how did Thysmia get from the tropics to Chicago and, and why did it find a, a home here at least temporarily? Uh, I suppose that's a... That, that's a million-dollar question. <laughs> but do other plants do that? We do have some what we call disjuncts from other areas. We have some boreal, you know, more northern plants that mm -hmm. skip and then are known known from here. We have some coastal plain plants that grow along Lake Michigan. So there are some disjuncts. Now, the tropics is a pretty huge jump. You know, yeah, it is. Big. Look at a map. If you go to one of the articles on my website, go to mikenovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net, and click on some of those articles, and there are maps like where Thysmia is generally 
and then there's lone little dot here in yeah. Chicago, far thousands of miles away from any other Thysmia. Maybe you don't know the answer to this, but when she was looking at it, uh, how did she realize that it was this uh, plant? I mean, obviously the, the the botany of the day allowed her to determine that, but she right. must have scratched her head and said, "No, that can't be. That can't be right." Yeah, she did, botany student, so she had resources at her um, disposal, but she also had people who had studied botany, so she sent it, there were people, Charles Chamberlain, William Land, John Coulter, so she would send specimens and ask people their opinions about what um, they thought this plant was, and just, they determined that it was belonged to the the family Bermana Aceae mm-hmm. and the genus Thysmia. So they okay. can tell just by comparing it to other thysmias. You visit a herbarium. They have, like at the Field Museum, they have specimens of plants they can compare it to. So that's how they determined in the end that it was a thysmia. Sounds like a, <laughs> a, a jigsaw puzzle of some kind. Back uh, then it was much more hard than it is of now. Of course it was. You didn't just type it in and do a Google search. Right. Um, you were comparing. And look at this. There's a monarch right behind us just Fluttering, uh, trying to get on, on the, and he's just landed on the milkweed right behind us. You got to love that, huh? Uh, hi there, Mr. Monarch. Uh, who it wa- just laid an egg, actually. Are you kidding me? I know, me? I see it. It's right on the other oh, side of Oh, my leaf. goodness. Oh, we've, we've had procreation on the Mike Novak show right before your very eyes. This is another reason you need to come out this morning to the Thysmia Hunt, Chicago at Indian Ridge Marsh. Again, we're here till noon. If you're listening to us uh, in the future when this goes out across the country, I'm sorry you can't be here. It's part of a Calumet celebration, and we got folks. You guys can walk in front of the camera, too. That's okay. Don't worry. I've laid an egg many times on the radio, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> thank, yeah. thank you very Facebook much. Facebook has laid an egg this there, morning. <laughs> there's Facebook. No, Mark Zuckerberg has laid an egg. All right. We are talking to Linda Masters, a restoration specialist with Open Lands, Trevor Edmondson, project manager with the Wetlands Initiative. So we've got a milkweed behind us. We, we've got all kinds of beautiful native plants um, that... Uh, have been put here, I imagine, over the last few years because there's been a lot of work. Tell us about the work here, why it's important. It's a sort of new initiative with the Calumet area to really push some of these industrial, you know, type habitats that are still left over. Here at Indian Ridge Marsh, um, it's a combination uh, between the Wetlands Initiative, it's Chicago Park District, which mm-hmm. owns the site, and the Great Lakes Audubon. So this used to be a very important birding area, and it's still you still get a lot of secretive marsh birds. And we're going to talk about se- yeah. secretive birds. Yeah, secretive marsh birds <laughs> later on. Um, but then it just became, you know, over time, uh, this used to be a, all this this uh, marsh out here, you couldn't see it. It was just a Phragmites forest. Uh, explain what Phragmites is for people who don't it's understand. A, it's a tall, invasive grass. It gets like uh, 15, 20 feet, you know, it's, it's peak, but it gets so dense that it just blocks out everything. It's... Um, you know, I think it's in the marshes in like Iran, and uh, there's some, there's a native Phragmites, um, but it's super rare, and it it's, it doesn't nearly. It's like cattails. Yeah. We used to have native cattails, and from what I understand about cattails, is that they've bred with the non-natives so much that you really can't tell the difference, or it's very difficult. Uh, am I am I wrong? No, oh, that's right. Yes. Yep. Okay. Completely right. Yep. So. So so you know when when people say, well, I love cattails, okay, let's look for the native ones because you can't even tell if they're native anymore. Two more uh, monarch eggs yep. behind you now. No, right are you kidding me? Yes. Are they just laying eggs yes. right behind me? Yes. And we're not on camera? Uh, How is, oh. Um, 
But with the Fragmites here, we got brought in a helicopter to clear out some. I mean, we did do some spraying. Um, that was. Uh, we're now was we're so all thick. we're all just watching we're the monarch right look, now. Look, a butterfly. This is <laughs> this is literally what we're it's doing here. It's not squirrel. It's monarch. All right, I'm gonna watch it this time because I got a feeling it's, it's just looking for another place to lay an egg. Yeah. Oh, there we go. There yep. we go. Come on, settle down. I'm on, we're on the radio. We only have so much time. All right. And then, oh, it, yes, we're interviewing a monarch this morning. <laughs> uh, so you've. You cleared out Phragmites, but yep. you're not just talking about Phragmites. I mean, no. Phragmites, for folks who might drive in areas like Chicago on the south side, uh, and they're driving by and they go, oh, look at all those pretty grasses. Isn't that lovely? Except that when you see them everywhere, you know Acres. that they're invasive. Well, and you see them along the expressways, too. Yeah. yeah, so that's not good. And this happens with other plants as well. Well, another perfect example here is purple loosestrife, which uh, is a beautiful you know, flower and, and people tend to put in their gardens occasionally, but is uh, incredibly invasive. And here at this site, it is one of the bigger challenges as well. Of course it is, yeah. And uh, how, how is the battle against uh, purple loosestrife? It, uh, it was a decade ago or more that we were bringing in biological controls to try to work the, on that yeah the beetles are here at indian ridge but you know and they they set them back mm-hmm. i wouldn't say they kill them necessarily they, they you know they keep them in check somewhat but there's so much here that it's just overwhelming so we uh you know the the groups that are working out here we go out early in the season and when they're you know, cut off the flower heads and then we'll, we'll or beside the the plants and just mm-hmm. try to do you know cordon off sections at a time but there's you know there's thousands upon thousands of that and know, then still, they come back yeah Well, uh, we're going to be breaking here shortly. I'm going to keep you here just for a few more minutes, but I want to get back to Linda. Um, Why? That's back to the question. Why why should we care? Why should we care about a plant that nobody's seen in 100 years? It's a tiny little thing. What difference does it make? So this plant is our only endemic plant, and that means this plant is only found in the Chicago region, nowhere else on the planet. So that makes in the Calumet region very important uh, habitat. And the very first Thysme hunt that I became involved in was in 1991. And I don't know if you remember, but that was when they were thinking about building a third airport in this region, right. this area. And so some of us got together and said, we knew that there were all these natural native Illinois habitat that were really important, surrounded mm-hmm. by all this industrial area. And we said, you know what? Nobody knows it's down there. Let's, we know the Thysmia plant was found here. And we said, you know what, let's uh, let's organize a Thysmia hunt. Let's bring down decision makers. Let's bring down people from U.S. Fish and Wildlife and get them to look at these places. Mm-hmm. So we organized a Thysmia hunt, sent them out to like five different areas in this region and made them look for this little plant, which made them really look closely at what was here. So while the plant in and of itself is important biologically, mm-hmm. this area, this region is also a regional biodiversity um, uh, aspect and 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 if you notice, there's no airport here. <laughs> I noticed right? that. Well, yes. yeah. <laughs> so um, only two places were protected at the time of the first mm-hmm. Thysme hunt in 1991: Sand Ridge and Powderhorn. Now, how many are in perpetuity as part of the Illinois Nature Preserves uh, Commission, a Forest Preserve Park District? Um, so they're now. Uh, protected and we have this incredible part of uh, our Illinois heritage um, safe so that's why I think it's important so what you're saying is that this Mia represents something bigger yes. than itself yes and uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that um, yeah it's the, the symbol the symbol uh, right. and and I love the strategy of getting these folks to look around and go oh wait a second yeah. uh, oh. this is a very 
interesting area we've got here. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about that with Trevor Edmondson, Linda Masters from Openlands. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you find the Thysmia today. <laughs> Come back. You will get multiple dings. You will, get multiple dings. And, <laughs> and you will be in the history books. That's yes. what will happen. That's part of what goes on here. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank it's you. the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're on location. It's the Thysmia hunt. Come on down. This is Mike Novak. If you're a sustainable business and you're not part of the McHenry County College Green Living Expo, my question is, what? It's McHenry County's largest annual green living event, but it's one of the best green events in the area. These folks get it. The energy is palpable. They're ready to change the world now with your help as a vendor or sponsor. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. Get out of your car and join the people of Evanston as they walk, bike, play, and celebrate green living in a car-free mile of Main Street on September 8th. Activities include exercise classes, bike activities, music, interactive art, a giant Jenga, Bollywood dance, and more. The Evanston Green Living Festival will be there with products, services, and ideas to help attendees lead more sustainable lives. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a sponsor. Go to evanstonstreetsalive.org or find them on Facebook. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Come a loo, come a loo, come a high, low, come down the merry stream. Come a ram, tam, tam, and a dippy, dippy, dow. Hear the row, the bow, wow, wow, the bugles horn, the big fire diddle in the hidey hole. Through the woods we're gonna roam, boys, through the woods we're gonna roam. Well, the first I saw was a blind man, blind as he could be. He said he saw Corina Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show come with Peggy Malecki. In case you're... Um, recognizing a theme here of the uh, the bump music we have today. It has to do with hunting and, you know, I've very few songs about Thysmia hunting, uh, as you can probably imagine. So I couldn't I, I tried to get, I couldn't get the rights to the Thysmia song, so uh, we, we've got that problem. So I had other kinds of hunting, and of course a lot of it is about, oh, I don't know, turkey hunting and bear hunting, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to play those. But uh, I've got the hunting song, Gail Davies, at Austin City Limits. The one we played at the beginning of the show was The Hunter, uh, which is a cartoon from the 60s, so that's my misspent youth. Uh, and it was, it was a really dumb cartoon, and I was reminded of how dumb it was when I was looking at it on YouTube the other day. <laughs> the next one in particular is uh, is going to be uh, pretty entertaining. And uh, and then there was 
What did, I'm trying to remember what we played at. I don't even remember what we played at the top of the show. There was a. Oh, it was that was Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Snoop Dogg. That was Snoop yes. Dogg talk. Uh, one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. I went to Nodding Trevor. Have you seen him talking about animals? I, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. He, it's like a, a nature show. He knows nothing about the animals, but he sits there and he comments on it, uh, and it's hilarious. It is just absolutely hilarious. So we got a little bit of everything today on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back to that. Got a minute for your trees? Skeet from Bartlett Tree Experts was on the show. We touched briefly on spruce trees. But particularly concerning is the prevalence of decline symptoms on well-established Norway spruce. All species of spruce, including Colorado blue and white spruce, are being affected Although when I was taking my master gardener training, my instructor said there's a reason they call it Norway spruce and a reason they call it Colorado blue spruce. And that's because that's where they belong. But uh, anyway, but a lot of people have them in the area. And originally a favorite due to the relatively low incidence of health issues, the Norway spruce is now seeing serious health concerns. Environmental factors such as drought stress, elevated summer temperatures and wetter growing seasons have played a significant role in twig dieback and needle defoliation. The Bartlett Diagnostic Laboratory routinely identifies rhizosphera and stigmina, which are unsightly needle diseases that can lead to mortality if not addressed. Phomopsis and cytospora, serious and deadly canker diseases on stems, are also seen. You don't need to know the names of these. You just need to call an expert. Canker diseases are most commonly found on trees under stress, so landscape trees should be monitored closely. Proper mulching, watering, and soil care are the best ways to prevent infection. Let the Bartlett tree experts keep your trees healthy because every spruce needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we're live on the south. Look, at we've got a bus that yep. just pulled up. Yay. Love it when the buses are here and the and people hunting for Thysmia. Uh, it, it is a Thysmia hunt and Calumet Celebration Day. And again, we're here till 11, but everything's going on till noon. There's food. So come There's on down. There's music. I there. saw a guitar going by earlier. And we have uh, uh, our, our conversation with Trevor Edmondson uh, because you talked about removing invasives invasives from this area but i think folks listening in chicago and especially outside of chicago no especially in chicago actually because they need to know there's a lot of people mm-hmm. as i say said on the show and i don't mean to to repeat myself too often but folks in park ridge and palatine have no idea what this area is like unless they come down here and what the challenges yeah. are of an area like this and some of the challenges are the last hundred years right trevor yeah yeah, definitely. Um, you know, comparing to what this was like when Thysmia was here originally to what it is now, it's, you know, it's, even for me working at Medewin regularly, mm-hmm. you know, we have the Joliet Arsenal there, but then you come here, it's a whole other world uh, of disturbance, different right. types. Um, and, and we're talking about industrial yes. disturbance, heavy-duty industrial Long, disturbance. Long-term pollution and long-term abandonment. I mean, uh, what Paul was saying, it's, it, you know, you're trying plant natives on slag basically well yeah and i mean just we got there's a landfill there's a there's an old retired coke plant i mean you got the railroad and we don't mean and we we don't and we don't mean coca-cola no no um but so yeah there's a it's a it's a different environment here you know i look at it as um you know an opportunity to experiment because it's sort of a novel sort of ecosystem you know you know you can't really compare it to what 
you're doing other places just because of the degradation here and you have an opportunity to do some rehab projects that um you know can kind of break ground i think in the restoration world here yeah and i was uh looking at some marsh restoration and and you look at the photos of that and you go it's so nice now it's pristine can you ever get to that level here in the city of chicago mm. I, I mean, within the city of Chicago, yes. I, I think here, I think maybe your, you know, your definition of uh, might be different. Um, but uh, a lot of wildlife using the site already. It's not like it's just this barren landscape. You see all the plants that are here. Um, you know, it probably won't ever be a nature preserve. But you know, I think it'll be unique. Well, what will it be? Well, I guess, and that—that's actually a segue <laughs> yeah. to yeah. the guys from the Chicago Park District. So maybe, perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's that's where we leave it. Trevor Edmondson, Thank project you. manager with the Wetlands Initiative, and uh, he's overseeing the restoration work right here at Indian Ridge Marsh. So, uh, Trevor, get to work. Come on, get uh, pull Thanks, some Trevor. plants, plant, put some stuff in the ground there. Uh, uh, do your job. Uh, and and sitting next to me on my right, uh, it's not even your left because there's no camera on us. And, yes, and if I could just mention, if you are watching on Facebook, you're not watching on Facebook. Apparently, Facebook is down, is trending on Twitter right now. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. Good so, job. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so there we go. This is why we have audio. Hey, radio is still a big deal, if you ask me. And uh, on my right is Matt Freer. Or Freer, or how do you pronounce it? The first one. Freer. Yes. Freer. Okay. Um, Assistant Director of Landscape Natural Areas for the Chicago Park District. Correct. Okay. And Joel Springstein. <laughs> I'm kidding. Springsteen. Uh, uh, and I love your music, by the way. Um, I'll tell my uncle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what What would your official title be? Uh, I'm a natural areas technician here at Indian Ridge Marsh. Okay. So the question I have for for you guys is why the Park District? The Park District got involved, what, about a decade ago here? Uh, just under. We've been here for about eight years. Um, we took over here on the southeast side of Chicago when uh, the city's Department of Environment uh, uh, changed. And so we expanded our natural areas management at that point. So up until then, we only had about 400 acres of natural areas that we managed. Mm -hmm. um, the city actually ended up uh, giving us just about 500 acres across this really, really exciting. Nice. Uh, Indian Ridge Marsh, which is where we're sitting now. Mm -hmm. uh, just kitty corner to us is Big Marsh, a very active eco-recreation site. That's about a 300-acre uh, natural area. Just south of here is Hegwish Marsh, another uh, just about 100-acre natural area. So a lot of great natural areas to explore uh, here on the southeast side. But that leads to the question uh, about the mission of the park district. You guys, as you said, you have some natural areas, but generally when people think of the park district, they think of softball, diamonds, and picnic areas and that sort of thing. How does the mission change when you come into an area like this? Sure. So is, is children first and, and uh committing to a healthy Chicago. And so green infrastructure is one of those uh, ways that we can commit to a healthy Chicago, but also bringing people into nature, mm -hmm. which is sort of where our uh, mission with natural areas management aligns with our uh, uh, mission of getting folks out into green space and so isms to bring people out into spaces like this today is a great day to come out and explore you're getting uh, bird walks there's a nature play space here um, mm -hmm. at big marsh just across the across the railroad tracks there's a bike park and we have a climbing wall at steelworkers park we have canoe programs so we're we're trying to bring people out into green space to help uh, stewardship of the natural areas um, and to really get people healthy are you guys involved in big marsh we are 
we yeah, were there. We were there, yeah. Peggy and I were there last year. A short, couple of years ago. Was it a couple yeah. of years? Yeah. Shortly after, yeah, you're right, it was. Yeah. It was 2017. Shortly after they put in a lot of the bike stuff there. People were there. They were already using it. It, it, it scared the dickens out of me. I don't <laughs> want to put my bike on that, but... Ah, these kids today, you know, ah, kids. how do they do that stuff? So uh, how are you finding, are, are more and more people knowing the parks are here now and coming? Yeah, certainly with uh, simply that it's been around and open to the public, mm-hmm. but also bringing a more um, and diverse assets to these parks. So uh, the bike park uh, big, at Big Marsh uh, has an environmental center that's under construction. So there will be a building to go to. Oh, We've cool. been hosting field trips there, public work days. Um, the Climbing Wall at Steelworkers Park. About to open a, a mile-long trail at Marion Burns Prairie. So the more resources that we're bringing to these parks, uh, the more they get activated, mm-hmm. which then just brings more public into the park. I am proud to say that I worked with Marion Burns um, towards the end of her life. Um, I was with her. And there's a Beth Bot sighting. Uh, you're welcome to take a photo of us here, okay? In fact, she uh, is. She I'll just had a, a phone handed, handed to her. Uh, she's not going to figure. It's, wow, it's like a, a major thing. But we're we're carrying on, and <laughs> we're gonna on. we're gonna break here in a second. But uh, Marion Burns, I was with her on the Chicago Recycling Coalition, um, and she was uh, an amazing, dynamic woman who did so many different things for the city of Chicago. Uh, so I'm glad, you know, and mm-hmm. obviously there's a space named after her now. That's right. Uh, it actually officially became the Marion Burns uh, Park. Uh, in December, uh, that n- name passed our board, and we're very excited to honor her and all the work that she did. A lot of these spaces that I'm talking about probably wouldn't be here without mm-hmm. her work. Uh, <laughs> so good for her, and I'm, I'm glad uh, uh, she was able to do that, and I'm glad that you guys are here. We have about a minute uh, before we break. Let's just start really quick. Joel, uh, basically, what's the kind of work you do here? We're kind of dividing and conquering this space. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big chunk of land. So um, the Wetlands Initiative is working on the northern end of Indian Ridge Marsh and a section of the southern unit. Uh, the Parks District, we've got a bunch of units across the middle. And Audubon this year is focusing on Indian Ridge Marsh south. Um, so there's so much to do. It's great to have this partnership so we can you know, divide and conquer. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. We'll get back to that. Uh, we're with Matt Freer and Joel Springsteen uh, from the Chicago Park District. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Stick around. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants, you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa. CityGrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. This is Mike Novak, and I just proved that the climate crisis is real. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio gets the goods from Fred Braun from the village of Niles, Illinois. Do you find yourself playing differently before you begin the winter season now? Definitely. We start earlier. We've moved everything up about a month. We used to do that in November, early November. Now we're doing it in October. When city crews are changing their schedules, you know it's real. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Sundays 9 to 11 on 1590 and 95.9. 
Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5th, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Yeah, you got to wonder what this is, folks. <laughs> well, we're talking about the Thismia hunt here on the south side of Chicago at Indian Ridge Park. So I was looking for hunt songs, and this is from, are you going, you want to guess? I saw the cheat sheet. Oh, you, you saw the cheat so. sheet. Thank you. Okay, uh, I figured that's so. That's the the Red Army Choir performing the Hunt for Red October, and that's a uh, a tribute to our, our friend uh, Mr. Putin. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the Mike <laughs> Tilbach Show with Peggy Malecki on a beautiful day in Chicago. Gorgeous out here. We had a monarch earlier laying eggs right behind us on coneflower. We got all kinds. I might have to have uh, a Joel do some plant ID here. Of, uh, could you do that if I asked you? You're not that guy, huh? What's that? He's an expert. He is an expert. No, I don't know this stuff. You know all this stuff, right? You got your milkweed, your gray-headed coneflower, <laughs> Your your bergamot, your uh... we we do have some uh, species of concern here, but I won't say what they are. But if you come down here, you well, might we find talked them. about Phragmites earlier, you know, and 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 how difficult that is to control. But that's partly why you're here. We were going to talk about uh, this playing into uh, uh, the mission of the park district. Matt Freer is is on my right here, and he's the assistant director of landscape natural areas for the Chicago Park District. So let's let's talk about that uh, a, a little bit, about how th this plays into the whole. So our natural areas program has expanded. We've actually added 500 acres of natural area over the course of the last four years, which is really exciting. Um, I mentioned earlier about how a, a lot of property here on the southeast side of Chicago, but really across the city, uh, we've added natural areas. You don't have to go out to Wisconsin, to Indiana, um, downstate to find beautiful nature. In, you can find it right here in the city, and that, I think that that's one thing that's very important to uh, acknowledge and one thing that's important for human health as Chicago citizens. Uh, and how do, you, how do you draw people down here? You know, how, how do you get folks to say, you should come look at a coneflower. This is, this is really good. I mean, you know, and you and I know how important this is and how wonderful it can be. And, and we sat here again watching a monarch on the milkweed behind us, and, and kids will really dig that. So that's one way, right? Empathy, yeah. wildlife, connection with wildlife. 
you find these pretty flowers. Mm -hmm. uh, aesthetics are an important Like Thysmia, area. right? Right, like Thysmia. <laughs> Thysmia is the that, ultimate scavenger hunt, right? If you can find that, we'll have a whole new set of eyes on this space, which would be <laughs> right, great. Right there. No, wait. That's yeah. Yeah, 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 right. Um, but uh, we, we find uh, a diverse a diversity of many partners like we have here today, uh, the Wetlands Initiative, Audubon. Um, we also work with social service organizations and community-based organizations to to meet missions that uh, can be can be can happen out in natural areas. So whether it's education, human health, with nature, we we work with all sorts of partners across the city in doing that work. All right, we were talking in the break uh, with Joel, who was being really modest about knowing what he knows around here. But what was the program that you mentioned that you had an acronym for, but maybe couldn't remember exactly what it was? Sure. So um, one of the areas that we're, we've taken on management of the um, the water reclamation district property along the Calumet River, they've mm -hmm. given us a uh, management lease. So that area has a lot of uh, potential. They've made these beautiful uh, man-made waterfalls, and they have a big pump, and they pump water out of the river, and it goes over this cascade of waterfalls to aerate the water. The area has a lot of invasive species, so we're working on converting that into natural area. So it'll be like a kind of man-made waterfalls with hopefully uh, restored woodland and prairie and mm -hmm. wetland there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something we're working on just starting this year, really, um, killing off the, the invasives and planting this fall and next year. Um, in Indian Ridge Marsh South has not had as much attention. So there are two units. There's the northern unit and then there's 122nd Street and south of that is Indian Ridge Marsh okay. South. So that's a big focus area this year is Indian Ridge Marsh South along with the Audubon group is also down there. Do you, as you're coming to work, <laughs> okay, and this and this, this is a different kind of work than most people go to. I'm driving down this morning, Peggy and I are, are coming in and I'm looking at abandoned buildings and collapsed fences and stuff and i know that there's some beautiful stuff because now we're right here in the middle of nature but overwhelmed by the enormity of the the process and uh the challenge of working here sure so i actually started here in march and i come down here from came down here from wisconsin mm -hmm. and uh the first couple of days i was here my coworker showed me around mostly from car and all i saw was the brown of winter and just stands of Phragmites. And uh, I told my friends back in Wisconsin what I was getting into. But as the growing seasons progressed, um, there are a lot of amazing plants already here, thanks to the Army Corps and our partners and the work that mm -hmm. the Park District has done, including a number of species that are quite uncommon, and they're doing really well here on All right, site. stop right there. Well, like what? Such what, as. What have well, you seen? Well, I won't say there's specific names, but we do have some rare sedges here and some rare milkweed. Because you're afraid somebody, somebody will dig them up? Yeah. Well, and now that's amazing, too. First of all, they wouldn't know where to find them, but they might come looking for them, huh? You never know. That's a real... Go yeah, ahead, Yeah, there Peg. was an article I was reading talking about the thysmia, that if it were ever found, the fear that somebody would come and dig it up. Yeah. People like rare things. They do. For well, themselves, apparently. I know. Or, to, I, or to sell. And to I've sell. told this story before about being in the Pacific Northwest in a natural area, and I'm pulling in to the parking lot, and I watch this woman walking out of the forest carrying a huge sword fern that must have been six feet across and go, look what I got. And she had just dug it up, you know, and I should have knocked her to the ground and taken the fern <laughs> away, but I didn't because I'm, I'm more polite than that. Um, but that, that's what people might do. So 
that leads to a guy we had on the show recently who was talking about foraging and talking about foraging on the radio or or even discussing it in print is like the third rail of nature. We got all kinds of emails mm-hmm. about people foraging in natural areas and and maybe Matt you want to address that. That's that's an issue, isn't it? It is an issue. Um I I would advise people not to forage uh, in any natural area, um, especially within the city of Chicago. You don't know what the the quality of that soil is. Healthy enough for public to walk around and engage with, but to eat something out of that soil is is not recommended. Well, uh, you'll be happy to know that the forager we had, and this this might not make you happy, but he was basically in alleys looking for stuff. And... uh, (laughs) Boy, yeah. I wish we had the camera going right now on Facebook. <laughs> I, th- I think we will be back for hour two. But yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Um, so, uh, but the point is, don't go into a public park. Don't go into a, a natural area and take plants out. Don't do that unless you're doing it scientifically or something like that. That's right. We work with a lot of partners on research on our, in our natural areas, um, local universities, uh, the Field Museum, Autobahn, many partners do a lot of research uh, in our natural areas and in our parks. Um, and there's ways to do that. And so if you want to do that, let us know. You know, and that's that's yeah. nationwide, because after we had the forager on the show, I started across the country, and they're different in every state. Every, But mainly what you have to keep in mind is that public parks, public areas, uh, uh, natural areas that belong to the public are off limits for that kind of activity. So that's that's my uh, my soapbox. Did you want to throw something in there? No, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, listen, I want. So, so I would say, what's the next in thirty seconds? What's the next year or two here? Uh, we don't even have be, thirty, uh, but go ahead. Seeding a lot of areas this fall, prescribed burning most of the marsh this fall and winter, and mm-hmm. planting plants next spring in fifty trees and shrubs. Wow, I like that. And you just keep chipping away, right? Yeah. You can, and, and you're going to transform this. This is going to work. I'm so uh, pleased that you're doing this work. Matt Freer and Joel Springsteen from the Chicago Park District. Thanks so much. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got more coming up. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks. Of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. 
Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are live this morning at the Thismia Hunt, a Calumet Celebration Day. We're at Indian Ridge Marsh on the south side of Chicago. And guess what? Go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook and say hi. And you can, at least you'll get to see some of what we're doing today. Yes, we've we, got a great view here. I'm looking at it right now. You I, can and I see, want that monarch to yeah, come back. Yeah, where's the monarch? Okay, the monarch was laying eggs right there, okay, early. And there, there's early. there's an egg right there. There, there he what? goes. He's right over there across right. the way. Monarch, over here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Leave that cone flower alone. Okay, you're fine. Come on over here. And we've got some great, great guests on the show. And by the way, you can still come down here for a couple of hours. And uh, basically, you just come down. You see a banner, and there's a parking lot, and it says Indian Ridge Marsh right there. And one of the people who helped introduce us to this is sitting on our left over there, and that's Terry Valenzuela. You were on the head. All right. Um, she's a stewardship program associate for Audubon Great Lakes. Good to see you again, Terry. Good to see you as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, uh, you were on the show with Paul, who's being very shy today. He just didn't want to be on the program. Uh, but uh, she came to the studio in April, and they and there comes that monitor. Where You know, look, a butterfly. She came to the studio, mm-hmm. and they talked about this, and Peggy and I immediately said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come and be part of this and then we'll you know on our way out we'll wipe all our cords so all the ticks are off of them and then we'll uh, we'll go home that's so like tick check is key tick check is key it's you got to be smart out here when you're we, you we have the the jeans tucked into socks we got the spray that we were yeah. given when we walked in so yeah. we're good so there we go um and uh, on my right is isa Redlinski, a conservation ecologist at the field museum and in in Chicago. Hello, thank you for having me. Here. Oh, thank you for and now. Uh, we have to give you a ding too. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, and you brought some flowers to get. What's the background on these flowers? Oh, uh, we have uh, some flowers that my kids picked out because there's some great kids activities and they came along. But we have purple loosestrife, which is a beautiful yet deadly plant. <laughs> so when they wanted to pick flowers, they said pick these, and they did. So. Uh, I it, think Peggy's been described that way occasionally. Beautiful me? yet deadly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, what tell us about purple loosestrife a little bit? You say beautiful but deadly, but it, because it's invasive. It is. It, now it's been brought over from Eurasia, um, probably on a ballast on the ship because when mm-hmm. ships used to come to U.S., they had no cargo, uh, so they had to have ballast, and that uh, introduced it and it spread. It's ubiquitous throughout uh, our continental U.S., so it's one of the first plants to green up. Um, in the spring, and it grows big, blocks the sun and other resources from our native plants. Uh, and it's beautiful. So people took to gardening with them and putting them in their backyards and front yards. And it's uh, not a good thing. And it's illegal now. Yeah, it's illegal. So it's you, considered a noxious, a noxious plant. Yes. But you can still, people still, you still find it. Uh, I have to admit that uh, my neighbor, when I moved into my house in Logan Square 19 years ago, uh, they had a big lawn in the backyard and some daylilies, orange, mm-hmm. ringing it. And in the center of the lawn was a big purple loosestrife plant. Mm, did you do some gorilla herbiciding at night? Nope. <laughs> uh, this, I was, you know, they would have noticed it was the only plant in the middle of this big lawn. But I took care of the lawn. So what I would do is I would mow it more and more around the plant, around the plant. And then finally... 
Frances uh, ended up moving in with her niece, and I just mowed that sucker down, and it, it's gone. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't know what happened. The lawnmower just, it, just took off. I, uh, I don't know. But people have that in their yards. They think it's beautiful because it is. It is a beautiful plant. We've got issues with it because uh, it, the seeds can spread. You, you know, It's like when people... T- okay, let me ask you a question here. Um, you're aware of invasive plants in here. Do you find barberry? Do you find burning bush? What do you what are what do you find here? So our main invasives here are definitely the purple loosestrife, mm-hmm. um, and then we also and the have phragmites. the phragmites, of right. course. Since it is a wetter area, we also do get reed canary grass, um, and then times we've seen uh, bird's foot trefoil pop up as well and you really need to get a hold on bird's foot trefoil and crown vetch because um, they almost kind of mat down other plants and they start to spread out and mm-hmm. once They're they legumes we don't need any extra nutrients so we're going to produce those ourselves yeah and and they can really overtake an area yeah. very quickly um, so and when we find them spreading. Mm -hmm. We have a system of communication. So uh, the Student Conservation Association works here. Audubon Great Lakes works out here in in Chicago Park District. So we're always constantly alerting people, hey, we have this, we have that. Um, So uh, we just try and keep in best communication as possible. All right. We're going to get back to that. uh, More conversation with Terry Valenzuela and uh, Isa Rudlinski. Um, And when we return, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki live at Indian Ridge Marsh on Chicago. This is me a hunt. I sure hope somebody finds one today. Wouldn't that be cool? We'll be right back. Hey, Chicagoland. When you want the best science-based tree care in the area, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. With locations in Barrington, Naperville, downtown Chicago, and Northbrook, Bartlett has 80 tree care professionals ready to do what's right for your tree and you. They also partner with great organizations like the Morton Arboretum. Whether it's your home or your business, a large job or a small one, every tree needs a champion. Call for a free estimate. Go to Bartlett.com. What happens when you bring together hundreds of people from diverse faiths and walks of life across Illinois and the Midwest with the goal of healing the earth? You get the Green Team Summit, which celebrates the 20th anniversary of Faith in Place. This important gathering happens on Saturday, September 14th at the Field Museum in Chicago. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki will be there. We want you to join us to fight for environmental justice. Go to faithinplace.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito Dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. More hunting tunes. This is uh, 
Fox Hunt, French Horn, and Mozart. I, that's how it was ID'd. I'm like, well, yeah, that's not, can't be the exact name. And the bump music and going, wow, we're getting Mozart this We've morning. got Mozart uh, today, uh, a Fox Hunt from with on the French horn. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As you can see, we put the sunglasses on because I was hoping we would get 45 minutes more right behind that tree, which has been so great yeah. all this morning. It's been perfect. But, but by the maybe it'll get over to this other tree in just a few minutes. Go fast. But we just son. had a nice green heron fly by. Yeah, we had a green heron fly overhead. And that's a... Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry. And Sharon's walking here? by with her Thysmia art. No, uh, you can't stop there. You cannot stop there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we are on Facebook for the first time this morning, so if you've been listening on the radio, you can uh, tune in there. Go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook to see that. Uh, I missed something you were saying. Oh, I said whoever ordered that green heron. Was perfect. Uh, perfect now, timing. What else would you like? Well, well, well we're, we're going to be talking birds here in just a, a little bit as well. I mean, we're trying to get everybody. Uh, mostly we've today we've uh, dwelt on plants, mm-hmm. but you guys can kind of, kind of take us into maybe other, uh, take us into fauna. Uh, uh, of the area when you bring people in, um, but let's start. Let's start with uh, Isa, um, and uh, y- you're working here to to bring folks to the region, right? To to, to this area, but to other areas in the in, in uh, the south part of Chicago. Yeah. So Field Museum, I work. I'm a conservation ecologist at the Field Museum, um, and you're thinking, what does a museum have to do with oh, a natural not, area and conservation? Think, oh, no, 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 no. Well, maybe, maybe so. Um, I doubt it. Uh, you know, we have a 125-year history uh, in the Calumet region because it's so rich in both the cultural diversity but also natural diversity. We have about 20,000 uh, collection items from the Calumet region, and we're deeply rooted here. And I'm a part of the Keller Science Action Center, and we are tasked with translating the latest science into action. So we're the boots on the ground, and we work in two regions. Uh, we work in the area that is most biodiverse in the world. So that's mm-hmm. Andy's Amazon. That's not me. That's like the cool kids. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm lucky because I get to work in Calumet region, which is one of the most biodiverse areas in our country. And it's also uh, culturally diverse, and it, it has some of the most beautiful natural areas that I've seen regionally. So... Well, who did we have on from Keller Science Action Center recently? Somebody else, and I, I, I cannot remember. I have uh, to think about it. Oh, was it um, uh, when we were talking about Montrose Beach? Doug yeah, I think Stutz. so. Yes, yes Doug, Doug Stotts. Doug. Right. He is right. our world. Yes, another one for Doug. Doug is great. <laughs> oh, the, Doug was wonderful. To, yeah. He's a bird expert, and uh, here in the region and also in the Andes Amazon, he literally wrote the book on birds of Peru. Uh, I mean, yeah, and so, <laughs> so what's amazing is that here's a guy like that from the Field Museum, and, and the Field Museum is such a great resource oh, for Chicago. Um, and he comes on our show to the Amazon, which he knows about, but birds on Lake Michigan and how important they are too. So, um, it, it, it they you guys cover the planet. We try to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I well, think our new log, uh, slogan is "Earth, we're on it." <laughs> Is that true? Is that it, the it is. All right. Well, I was going to, you were talking about how diverse it is down here, and I was thinking about the urban nature, um, the, the series, uh, the PBS series, that was looking at the areas down here of how between far southern Michigan and across northern Indiana and to Illinois, how it's just this huge diversity of regions, and it's what you're studying. 
Yes, and we're uh, you know we're trying to look more deeply into. Um, we know that cities need nature, right? We know mm -hmm. we benefit so much from having nature, both um, emotionally and physically. And uh, our current research and some of our newest published papers on the monarch butterfly showed that cities can actually produce a little over 30% of the 1.8 billion, that's with a B, stems of milkweed that are required to keep mm. the monarch population at the same level it's now. So uh, some of our plantings with milkweeds, uh, by 3 or 5%, we are, cities are able to provide so much habitat. And we have a community science um, project right now where we encourage gardeners who have milkweeds on their um, front or backyards to uh, check for 30 minutes to count mm -hmm. the number of eggs and caterpillars. And through that, we'll be able to see, you know, what is the survival rate of the caterpillars uh, and their um, how, how they can produce an adult butterfly uh, in an urban setting, which is important. I have milkweed in my backyard, yeah. but I, 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 it gets visited by monarchs. I have seen a lot of aphids. The aphids are are aphids are huge this they're year. They're chowing down on my on my natives. Yeah, uh, but you on, know, once you have aphids, you will have the ladybugs that will come in to eat the I aphids. I sure hope so. And before you know it, it'll become a milkweed uh, metropolis. They you're, haven't you're, shown up on mine yet. <laughs> just be, the aphids and the ants. You're being mugged here. Uh, who is that? That's Hanya. She is six and a half years old. Bye, Hanya. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked about the monarchs and the idea that urban areas might be the savior of the species. We're losing so much of our habitat to farmland and to, to development. Uh, and, and who is this? That's Miriam or Marisha. She's five years old. That's okay. my other daughter. <laughs> Did they just come parading through here? Will we have a three-year-old uh, and a four-year-old and a two-year-old come by as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, kids are out here. There's a beautiful <laughs> nature play area. Yeah. So she just came to cool off in, uh, in the shade for a little bit, and she's going back to go jump on some logs. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to do that myself. Um, one, one of the you started this conversation, and I'm sorry, uh, Terry. We'll get to you in a second, but one, maybe you can jump into this as well. We had, I wrote uh, about how biologically diverse this is, and one of our listeners wrote, "I had no idea," and I think that a lot of people have no idea, don't they? Yeah. So if you even look at our uh, newly, um, well, it's not a new park, but our national park, Indiana Dunes National Park second or third most biodiverse national park in our country. So that's after Yellowstone and the Great Smoky Mountains National Parks. And it's literally in our backyard. We can literally take a train there. Uh, we can, I mean, this is where the study of ecology has its yeah. roots. This is where uh, the process of succession is where you have about 30 types of orchids growing, guys. Orchids. Orchids are mm -hmm. not limited to like tropical regions. We have orchids yeah. around here. Uh, you have some beautiful plants, rare uh, combinations of plants, plants that you will not see growing together anywhere else in the world, just in the Calumet region. So if you're looking at a definition for a listener who might not be completely Thank familiar you. with that term. So biodiverse is how many different types of things there are. So if you, how many different species, and the species is an individual plant uh, or an individual bird uh, type. Mm -hmm. So biodiverse meaning how many types of birds, insects we have in an area. Thysmias. Thysmias. <laughs> and I'll be biased because I'm an ecologist through the botanical flavor that, you know, without a diverse 
plant communi- diverse plant communities, we would not have diverse insects, and without that, we wouldn't have diverse birds, etc. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Terry, for a second, Terry Valenzuela, she mentioned insects, and and, and this is a curveball to you, okay? Sure. Uh, so please excuse me for sucker punching you, all right? But she just triggered something in my head, which is insects and insect diversity, which this is has been and can be, again, a, a, a biologically rich area. Uh, the same goes for our insect species as well, and birds. We'll, we'll be talking birds in a second. What do you notice about insects? Have you seen... Uh, can you address the idea that, uh, of numbers and you've seen a decline? Uh, we talk, sure. We've talked on the, on the show about you know, the, the windshield inf- uh, effect, which is when, we, when I was a kid, not when you were a kid, because <laughs> you, uh, when I was a kid and you drove uh, on, a, on, a, on a trip, you know, the family went on a vacation. When you came home, you had to clean off the, the windshield yeah, well, and just, the headlights. Oh, yeah. Drove, yeah. And yeah, you were smashing that. insects. I, I was there. Uh, okay. In, in spirit. <laughs> um, but and, and no, you don't I, see that a lot anymore. I, I think, um, you know, what's special about this place, especially um, to me and, I, you know, all the partners that are working out here, and, I mean, as, you know, to go off Isa's point, is that, you know, we've been working in this area now for, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I'm going on to my third year of working out here. And so we've had intern crews work out here each season. Um, so you get to see the changes over the course of the season, but then in the next year, you see even more change occur. Um, so we've been able to have prescribed burns out here, um, which helps the plant species out here, um, and then also the insect population. Sometimes it can, you know, the insect populations can die back a little bit from the burn, but it, it eventually increases the richness of the biodiversity here over time. Um, so over the course of just working out here, populations go from three to six different species wow. of milkweed. Um, so you can just, see... Just from the burns? It's not just, This is just over the last three years. That was not anything that we planted. Because So um, the seeds are there. The seeds were already in the soil. Yeah. Um, so you need, you know, you need to... You need to kind of implement various restoration mm-hmm. techniques and, um, you know, kind of attack invasives from all different yeah. different sides and ways. So planting, collecting native seed, um, burning, removing invasives, both, I mean, all, in all three ways, physically, chemically, um, and mechanically. Um, because if you don't, then you're going to kind of lose a battle yeah. and, and then... Um, Yet the native seeds are resilient yeah, once you remove exactly. the invasives. And Isa and I work really closely on collection of native seeds. Um, the Field Museum has actually worked with the Forest Preserves of Cook County to implement a shared um, seed collection strategy, mm-hmm. but we actually have incorporated native seed collection into our internship program as well. And then our partners from the Wetlands Initiative, they actually help us with seed. And even local community colleges, um, they help us collect native seed as well. Well, let's 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 talk about that a little bit. Uh, interns and volunteers are they important to the work you're doing here? So yeah, uh, crucial. As we, <laughs> crucial. As yeah. we all know, um, there's a lot of areas to be protected, and the budgets are always not enough. So we rely. <laughs> they're never on, enough. No. Yeah, they're never enough. Um, and we and as we're adding these natural areas, like Indian Ridge Marsh, right? That's a fairly comparatively new projects you need more hands to help out so interns are great and so are volunteers of course it's not like volunteers are completely free labor as some people might think because you have to invest a lot uh, into finding them training them getting Mm -hmm. them excited finding the niche that they want to 
explore. And we've been really lucky right here at Indian Ridge Marsh because we actually have two volunteer stewards that have committed a lot of their time. Um, we have Samuel Long, who is our Indian Ridge Marsh stewardship volunteer, where he's going to help build up the stewardship after I move to the south end of Indian Ridge Marsh. And then we also have Jamie Boberick, who is our Indian Ridge Marsh hydrology steward, helps go out in the middle of winter, break up ice off of our water control structures, and really assist with a lot of the hands-on work here. Really good point, mm -hmm. that the, the work goes on right, year, year round. round. Absolutely. And, and the great part is that, you know, Terry and sort of doing the groundwork and the heavy lift, mm -hmm. but then this place is an abandoned, right? This place has ongoing management and Terry has built the capacity of the local volunteer to then take over it. And that's a labor of love for them but it's also, it benefits us all in the long run. So having a, a barge lift management plan is extremely uh, important. And if you look at the Calumet region where it's situated, it is not necessarily a um, highly affluent area. So, you know, if people have to work two or three part-time jobs, uh, volunteering or doing heavy, sometimes our volunteering, that is low on their priority levels. So um, we at the Field Museum, because we work natural scientists and social scientists together, we're trying to find new ways to introduce people to nature, uh, find new entry points and get people interested and value nature for what it is. But also we understand that, you know, everyone in this area has a retirement plan, yeah. <laughs> like North Branch uh, Volunteers that has, you know, a beautiful volunteer program. And, uh, well, but, you know, that's, that's part of the point of all of this and part of the reason we're down here because this has been such a neglected area what the your Calumet experience yeah. isn't complete without an encounter with train one yeah, way or another exactly. so congratulations <laughs> listeners you now have had thank you a complete Calumet you've experience you've been trained <laughs> oh, that's good. Ah. so so if people want to get involved if students want to get involved if interns volunteers it's a great question so um, actually there is now a platform for all Calumet region events it's the Calumet Heritage Partnership website um, and forgive me I don't have that URL readily available on me. We'll, we'll have Ellie post that. But al also, if you uh, go on Facebook, so you will find all things Calumet that we share. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's and also a Facebook that's, that's group called yeah. Calumet yes. Outdoors that's the that you group. can join. Yes. And there are job opportunities posted there, green jobs. Um, there are internships posted there. There's volunteering opportunities, opportunities. events. If you, if you don't want to come out and do hard work, but you want to go paddle, September that. 7th right. at Bobian Woods. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got more to come. In fact, bird talk when we come back. Did you know it can take up to three liters of water to produce just one liter of bottled water? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Over 22 billion water bottles end up in landfills each year, and far too many end up in our oceans and waterways. According to the Environmental Working Group, about 40% of bottled water is actually regular tap water that may or may not have gotten any additional treatment. They also confirmed there was at least 38 different low-level contaminants in bottled water and an average of eight chemicals. So, ditch the plastic water bottles, folks. Choose to filter water and use reusable bottles for your own health and to reduce plastic waste in landfills. 
I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Farm Forward is helping to change the way our world eats and farms to promote conscientious food choices, reduce farmed animal suffering, and advance sustainable agriculture. We are changing policy, changing farming, and changing the story by working with farmers to build alternatives that put animals, farmers, and communities first. To learn more about Farm Forward's work to end animal suffering and advance sustainable agriculture, visit www.farmforward.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter and find out what you can do to help. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Farm Forward. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Yes, folks, this this is Thysmia hunting music. This is what they play here uh, when people are crawling around looking for Thysmia. Isn't that right, Terry? That's right. Yeah. Um, and or, or when they're getting ready for music. lunch. Yeah. And, and don't forget, we are also looking for replicas that are attached to certain prizes from... There are prizes here today yes. too. That's why. And there's a, milkweed too, right? Yes, there's milkweed, free milkweed giveaways. What from kind the Field of milkweed? Uh, we have swamp milkweed, Asclepias incarnata, and we also have uh, butterfly milkweed. I want to put some of that. I may, sne- I may sneak a, a, a. What do they have? Uh, plugs. Yes. Yeah. There's some free plugs. Over here. Awesome. On on campus. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna score a couple of plugs because <laughs> I I planted some uh, swamp milkweed last year. Uh, I think it took. It's kind of buried and stuff. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know the first year it's not going to oh, be, sure. and then I got a feeling next year it's going to go boink yep. and just pop right up. Absolutely, mine was doing great, but the aphids just have kind of annihilated it. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> and you were going to mention the. Yes. Just a just a quick plug here. Um, so today we are actually we have some free giveaways besides the milkweed and the prizes. We have some beautiful Thysmia stickers. Um, they say we believe or nosotros creemos, which is we believe in Spanish. Uh-huh. And um, they were designed by a local artist. And um, we also have free tamales today. Mm. They are going to be catered from Gorditas Adrian, and that is located on Brainerd in Hagwish. And it's a beautiful local spot. Um, you can get dollar tacos there Ooh. every single day. And um, they are just a wonderful family-owned establishment. And we will have chicken, pork, and rajas, which are vegetarian, and it's cheese and jalapenos. So there's a little bit of everything here. If you, you come over to uh, Rico. In, Indian Ridge Marsh, and again, the uh, address is 11. How did there's a, the way they do it on the south side? It's, it's 11740. 11740. 11740 South I knew I was okay. Yeah. I knew there was a way they do it on this, and yeah. they and they sneer at you if you don't. Yeah, yeah that's right. true. That's uh, true. You gotta, you gotta uh, say it the well, right. It's 117th Street. 117th. Yeah. 117th. 
40. Okay. 117 plus 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I knew it was something like that, and I was getting it wrong, of course. Yeah. All right. Switcheroo? All right. Yes, yeah, switcheroo you. here. We're going to hand the microphone over to Vera Leopold, who has uh, joined us now. She's a member of the development staff at the Wetlands Institute, uh, initiative rather. Um, and we saw you uh, at the, the uh, Medewin event, the city winery, uh, several weeks ago mm-hmm. and, uh, with the trivia question. And so yeah. we, should, we should do trivia here, but uh, that's okay. We won't. Well, they actually posted the answers, which was interesting. Did they? Yes, Great. they did. I missed that. Well, uh, and you're also with Audubon's Calumet Volunteer. Bird monitoring network. Yes, as always. Pick up that microphone. And <laughs> I'm glad that we have our other guest here, Daniel Suarez, uh, with the stewardship program uh, at Audubon Great Lakes. And we've been talking plants, we've been talking insects, we've been talking ticks. <laughs> but we haven't <laughs> monarchs, really. Monarchs, we saw with uh, monarchs, little we, green heron go by. We haven't really talked birds today. And that's one of the, the, the main reasons that you got, you got to flip the switch up. There we go. One of the main reasons people come out to these areas, right, is birds. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So the, the Calumet area has always been known as a, as a big bird destination. One of the most, one of the biggest wetland complexes in the United States. So this has always been known by hunters as a, as a very important place. And slowly, I think, in, in the work that we're all doing here today is trying to get people to like rediscover why this place is so special for birds. I, I think it's a really important point that, yeah, technically people are here today to look for Thysmia americana. After all, it is called the Thysmia hunt. The chances of finding it are, are slim to none. <laughs> uh, but what you do in the meantime is you show people this beautiful area and what is possible. You know, and it's not there yet, and we understand that, we know that, but it's getting there. And and that's kind of the important thing, yeah. isn't it, Vera? Yeah, and, and Verder, since I was young and growing up not far from here in Homewood, hmm. um, ah. I had this wonderful book by Cheryl DeVore called Birding Illinois, published in about 2000, I think, where they she wrote about um, visiting the Calumet region as one of the birding hotspots and all the huge breeding colonies of birds, including the black-crowned night heron that you could see here. <laughs> oh, and didn't we see the, the black-crowned night herons? When we were uh, yes, when when we were taking the uh, we our friend David J Zaber took us on a tour of some of the forest preserve areas here. Several, by Homewood. By Homewood, he's from Homewood. Okay, so he's he's my buddy and he's a scientist who lives down Homewood Way. And he said, "Come on, we're going to go uh, just uh, walk around and, and look at stuff." And we saw how many did we see that it was day? Three or four that morning. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it was wow. really and and in kind of a degraded area too. It's just amazing right. where they'll show up, right? So and the the Calumet region has kind of been it has this legendary quality in birders' mm-hmm. minds because um, unfortunately in the past couple of decades they've really declined of all these unusual wetland dependent birds and now why is that i mean if, if they didn't decline when they were when they were steel mills here and right. that's so, why did they decline recently so it turns out they could actually persist you know even being surrounded by the steel mills even with all the industry but it was really once the site kind of um split up and and fragmented that the invasive species really started to take hold and the the alteration of water patterns at the same time had a big impact on the bird population so it took a couple decades mm-hmm. several actually several decades after the industrial development, that um, the invasive species like the Phragmites started moving in, um, which just formed these bands of, of vegetation that the birds don't really have habitat for nesting in. And then at the same time, uh, you know, the water levels used to fluctuate naturally. 
And then with the alterations on the sites being split up and disconnected from each other, um, it either became, it went from, from either, you know, one, one end of the range being just totally lakes yeah. and the other end being dried up. And so that middle habitat, that middle ground is kind of the sweet spot for yeah. a lot of these the, breeding marsh birds. The Are marsh? you talking yeah, hemimarsh? Hemi hemi marsh. Marsh. Exactly. And, and Paul Botts introduced us to that concept, and he says that there's work going on now to control those levels. So you can recreate what nature used to do here naturally. Of course, nature can't do it anymore because it's too fragmented. Perhaps we can do that and create the conditions that, that are favorable to birds. Yep. So originally, all of these wetlands, or m many of them in the Calumet region, were hydrologically connected to Lake Michigan. So as Lake Michigan water levels would rise and fall, mm -hmm. so too would those wetlands. And, and, and theoretically, at this point, they would be really high because of what's going on in Lake Michigan right yes. now. Yes, and so some of, some of those wetlands, some of those connections still do persist. So here at Indian Ridge Marsh, it's not quite as it would have been, but uh, since we're by the Calumet River here, as the water, as the, the water has continued going up this year, uh, we've seen these wetlands fill back up. So we did uh, we did install a water control structure here last year, and that gives us the ability to drain water off of the site. We can't bring water on, but we can drain water mm -hmm. if the water levels are too high. That helps us do a couple of things. One, it, uh, it can help us in our treatment of the invasive species, where if we want to have better access to an area that might be too hard to get, um, we can do a drawdown, wait for things, something like Phragmites to uh, to sprout, and then we can go out at a time and just hit all the Phragmites while we're out there. Then, if the water levels raise back up again, we basically, the Phragmites doesn't want to germinate if it's below water. You can kind of suffocate it, as well as cattails. You can kind of cut, and if you, the water I didn't realize rise, that. that what, a, what a tool to, to get rid of Phragmites. Right, right. So it's it's a, it's a good it's a good tool, but it's hard to implement per se because it's hard to bring water on. It's easier in most cases to install a water control structure. Well, well, well yeah, water. we know all about that because yeah. for 150 years, all we did is drain what we called swamps, drain, drain, right. drain, drain water from. This was all marsh. I mean, the the whole Chicago was swamp, was, yes. was built on a swamp. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's not just uh, in D.C. It's uh, here. <laughs> right. It's we're good at training, and now we're learning how to bring back the, the water levels that would naturally yeah, be it's, present it's, here. Right. It's just about having being dynamic. You want mm -hmm. you want high level water. You want low water sometimes. It's just reintroducing that because I think with Phragmites, a lot of people see it as a as kind of like, oh, there's Phragmites, that means this place is, is, uh, is, is degraded. But rather, uh, Phragmites, if you, see, if you choose to see it as a symptom of manipulated mm -hmm. water movement, uh, stagnant water, that's, when, that's where you see Phragmites. So as you're doing restoration, there's a variety of types of marshes. How do you determine what it originally was? What type of marsh was in a given spot in the area? Well, it's a little bit different from how you would maybe necessarily identify like a prairie remnant. In those cases, you might try to look for some indicator species. Like this species really only persists in really high quality habitats or this 300-year-old oak tree uh, probably signals the, the conditions it was growing in 300 years ago, which was very open, and you see how wide the branches are spread. We don't have those kind of analogs much uh, because a lot of them... Uh, 
the the the, the soil horizons beneath them have been so manipulated. There's so much extra uh, silt and and deposits mm -hmm. that we don't have that we, we we don't have a good way of telling what's uh, uh, a really good area. Mostly, it's just by trial and error. If you do a drawdown, you wait to see what germinates. And here at Indian Ridge, surprised to see that there was a lot of a lot of rush, uh, which is a, a grass-like plant that grows mm -hmm. out of the water. Uh, there were some some wildfires. Isn't it a band also? <laughs> what, rush? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Junk, I'll say Junkus. That is a scientific <laughs> term to avoid any confusion. Yeah, there we go. With the there list. might be a vandal. Oh, Junkus, yeah. <laughs> uh, I got a lot of Junkus in my backyard. But, but no, that I your name in high school? I, I don't, yeah, that was my, my nickname in high school. Thank you, Junkus. Um, I'm sorry, and I interrupted <laughs> you. That was that was really rude. Sorry, we just no, go no. off. But so you had drawdown, and you see these plants uh, come back, right. and it's sometimes surprising. We're trying to make... We're trying to make as much lemonade as we can with the lemons we've been given. And in most of these places, it's like where there is water, uh, where there is the ability to create hemi marsh, we're going for it. Uh, because there's no shortage of deep, uh, deep lakes or ponds where you've got a ring of cattails or phragmites around the edge and absolutely nothing in between. Like Good by luck doing, with that. Right. Yeah. We don't yeah. feel like with this work we're necessarily mm -hmm. uh, taking away other types of wetland habitat. We got like 30 animals. seconds. Did we did we uh, 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 give a definition to Hemi marsh? I don't think we did. Do you? Do you want? I could. I could give it a go. So you I can, can channel our senior ecologist and <laughs> say. Uh, so hemi marsh is an um, emergent wetland vegetation and open water. Okay. So you'll see uh, it's kind of patchy. It's fifty, roughly fifty-fifty. You'll see these patches of tall vegetation and then then areas of open water with submerged mm -hmm. vegetation in between them. And that's really the the type of habitat that a whole range of rare wetland. Not birds real need. deep and not real dry between. Yeah. Right. Plenty of spaces Hence to hemi feed marsh. and right. hide. And we that. got more. We're going to talk about secretive birds when we come back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Get out of your car and join the people of Evanston as they walk, bike, play, and celebrate green living in a car-free mile of Main Street on September 8th. Exercise classes, bike activities, music, interactive art, giant Jenga, Bollywood dance, and more. The Evanston Green Living Festival will be there with products, services, and ideas that encourage attendees to lead more sustainable lives. And the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a sponsor. Go to evanstonstreetsalive.org or find them on Facebook. Hi, this is Peggy. McHenry County's largest annual Green Living event is also one of our area's best green events. The 2019 Green Living Expo, November 2nd at McHenry County College in Crystal Lake, attracts hundreds of attendees. We know, we've been there, and it's impressed us for years. So get your business in front of this crowd as a vendor or a sponsor. And yes, green holiday gift ideas are welcome too. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. This is Mark Dvorak, and you're getting environmentalism, gardening, green living, local food information, and sometimes even humor, sometimes musical humor, on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 a.m. on WCGO Radio 1590 and 95.9. 
City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. probably wondering why this song is playing it's called the fox hunt 63 maynard ferguson so that's as close as i could get to thismia hunt um i'm gonna put my uh my my my, my pith helmet on because the sun has come out and uh my magnifying glass i'm ready to hunt thismia and we just found out from who was it uh, andrew or or, uh, or one or of our Ellie? watchers andrew Andrew said, when, oh, one of the watchers on, he says, yes. when you Google Thismia, my picture comes up now. <laughs> <laughs> That's just sad. I guess it's this picture, too, yes. with the, with the, yes, the oh, my God. People are going to get the wrong idea <laughs> about what Thismia is all about. But that's okay. As long as it gives a little publicity of Thismia, I'm happy with that. And Terry's probably posting the photo she just took of you now. Could be. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got Daniel Suarez from Audubon Great Lakes and uh, Vera Leopold from the Wetlands Initiative. And we're talking birds. This is in the final segment. We're in the home stretch here. And just a reminder, folks, this goes on until noon today, and there's still food. You could make history by finding the Thysmia because it blooms at this time of year. And I got the little Thysmia guy here. You can't see it on the camera, but I'm holding up the little replica of the thysmia flower um and uh you should be part of this well oh yeah take that up to the camera that's so cool i hope you can uh <laughs> if she can figure out something wrong there uh-oh it, it's not good when she, when she starts frowning when she's looking at the camera there's oh we might not be on so that's okay well then we're just going to do radio because we got a few minutes and so one of the things we need to talk about are when people come out here to bird watch and look for what's a secretive bird i've heard there's secretive birds here what the heck does that mean so secretive marsh birds um refers to actually it's a few different groups of birds that love that heavy marsh habitat we were talking about earlier right and they tend to just hide right in there you know they'll hide in the vegetation they tend if you're if you're coming close to them they tend to scurry away through the vegetation on foot rather than flying um, a lot of tend to just like to stay hidden all during the day and avoid predators. So you have to really be lucky to uh, be here at dawn or dusk and see one of these birds coming out kind of at the edge of the vegetation, maybe feeding on some mud flats. Yeah. And they're, they're pretty hard to find. There's, there's a group called rails that are uh, these uh, well, kind of robin-sized birds that, that uh, creep around through the vegetation. They have really long toes so that they can walk on the, the first vegetation mm -hmm. easily. Yeah, long legs, and uh, they have really unusual calls. 
And that's one of the main ways that you can detect the presence of one of these secretive marsh birds is to actually hear them call from the cattails or from the vegetation. I do. Oh, so. she's got, okay, Vera has brought <laughs> her phone with various bird calls. Okay, I want you to just hold the microphone right up there to yeah. your, to so your I'll app. Yeah, play, so I'll play a rail call first. And, and this is what we do when we're doing our marsh bird monitoring. Because these birds are so hard to find, um, so hard to see in order to detect their presence, we actually play a recording of their call, and then we wait a minute to listen for the bird to respond. Ah. And they'll actually respond with kind of a territorial defense. They'll think, oh, there's mm -hmm. another bird in my habitat. I'm going to come out and, and see what's going on and try to drive them away. This is amazing technology. You couldn't do this 30 years ago. So we've got, um, when we do the marsh bird monitoring, we've got a little wetland collar here that's wireless. It hooks up to your phone. Things of these five different target wetland birds. That so we are you going to play it through that monitor? Um, no, I'll, I'll just play it through my phone. But, okay, all right. Um, hopefully see. we'll be able to hear it. Let's so see what we here's, can do. here's the Virginia rail, and this is called the grunt call. It almost sounds like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I like that. And if there's a pair of them, they'll actually do this grunting call together. <laughs> and I've heard this at Indian Ridge Marsh. Um, at the south end, because I'm I'm lucky because I work for the Wetlands Initiative. We're doing restoration work here at Indian Ridge Marsh with right. our partners, Ottawa and the Park District. So that's like a that, bonus for you is that you hear these things while you're doing the restoration work. I got, I was lucky to enough stop to be the and, one and who like, does the monitoring here. Ah, do you get to stop and like, okay, I got to track this down and see <laughs> if I can get a photo. Hey, this is important government work here. I got to find the bird. Right. So I, I come out here, um, you're supposed to start about a half hour before sunrise, of course, to try to get their, their prime activity period. Right. And there's nine points here. And so I go to the point, listening at each point for five minutes and quietly, and then you start playing the, the bird calls. And it cycles through them. And actually, I played the Virginia rail call, and a pair of Virginia rails responded. And actually, one of them popped out of the cattails and started walking toward me. So it was really exciting. And he had this kind of suspicious glare on his face. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interloper on his territory. I've it was, been had. Yeah. You and guys can walk out, in front. Oh, That's it's fine. Just, it's just, just human being. And then, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Then he kind of disappears into the vegetation and, and yeah. goes about his business. We've got, got so another exciting. bird call there? That I uh, do. So this was another kind of magical encounter we had here at Indian Ridge Marsh. So this is a common gallinule. It used to be known as the common moorhen. And this is, it's, it's kind of duck-like, but it is actually a rail, and they have the long legs as well. And they walk through the vegetation with, it's all black with this uh, red shield on the front of its face and on its bill. So... And, and they call it they call this the wipeout call because it kind of sounds like that. Uh, okay, so here's the common gallinule. Ooh, wipeout! Wipeout! I gotta do my drums here. Do that again. He's a little quiet here. Oh. Come on, bird. Here, wipeout. Oh, it's not letting me replay. No. Well, that <laughs> was cool. Let me try another one here. All right. That's why it's a secretive bird. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another version. <laughs> That's really good. So there's a few of them that really got going. So, uh, yeah, and so 2017, I've, I've been doing this monitoring since 2017 at Indian Ridge Marsh. And in 2018, so last year, I'm out here, I'm playing, cycling through the calls down at the south end. And I play the gallinule call. And all of a sudden, I hear from the cattails, I hear that wipeout coming back to me. Hey, these birds are here. These state-endangered birds are coming back to this degraded industrial area. The restoration must be working. Uh, are you able to do... Um an accurate, a scientific count of any kind uh, based on that kind of uh, interaction? 
Yeah, so the Marsh Bird Monitoring Program, that's kind of the protocol. That's the whole protocol that they've developed. And uh, by tracking it over years and doing that same process, listening at each point for five minutes and then playing the calls, you know, with spaced one minute between them and listening for a response um, is the protocol that I think dozens of volunteers have been using all across these Illinois marshes. Uh-huh. So we're seeing a lot of the birds uh, respond and coming back. And it's uh, we're, I believe it will be continue for the next several years yeah so yeah the next phase of the project it started here in on the illinois side in the calumet we're adding a lot of new sites along the little calumet river uh where monitoring will start coming online we're bit worse we're starting to consider maybe places further north like illinois beach state park basically Mm -hmm. anywhere to try to draw as complete a picture as we can as to the state of of marsh birds not only here in the calumet region but throughout the great lake state the declines we're seeing here are are mirrored throughout. Yeah. Well, listen, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Daniel Suarez and Vera Leopold, for being here uh, on the show today. We also want to thank our other guests. Uh, well, Paul Botts, of course, Linda Masters, Trevor Edmondson, Matt Freer, Joel Springsteen, Terry Valenzuela, Isa Redlinski. I uh, want to thank Andrew and Ellie at the studio. Wow. Great crew. Mm-hmm. Great show. Uh, and w- what a pleasure being here. Until next time, go green or go home. Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.